0: Good morning. If you have a Bible, would you turn to Matthew six nineteen through 21 is where we're going to start. Matthew 6, 19 through 21. We've got some ushers coming down the aisles. If you need a Bible, slip a hand up. Uh, you can borrow one, take it home if you need it. With the, eventually, we're going to get to 2 Corinthians 9, 6 through 8. We're in this series called Discipled. Whenever somebody uh, says something we would rather not have to deal with, we we have the tendency just to kind of tune them out. Because when we tune out, we, we think we've given ourselves permission that we don't have to be held accountable to what we don't hear. Or you can think of it like this, like putting your fingers in your ear and go la 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 la, you know, because I just don't really want to hear that. Well, today I want us to explore what the scripture says about money and our heart, money and our generosity, money and our sacrifice. Some of you maybe just checked out or you're pretending to put your ears—I mean, your fingers in your ears—and and and ignoring. But I want—I really want you to believe me when I say this. It is my prayer that we all allow the truth of God's word to awaken in us a greater desire to live in obedience to God's word. And I would say, uh, you know, kind of buckle up here because we're going to move and we have got several things that we're going to cover that has to do with money. The first is live intentionally, Matthew six nineteen through 21. We're gonna start with just verse 19, it says this, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. If you're familiar with this passage of scripture, it's the tale of two treasure chests and our heart, it has to do with our heart. So first, let's look at the treasure chest of this life. Jesus has warned all people through all ages of the dangers of living for the things of this life. He says this, do not store up for ourselves treasures here on this earth. And this phrase means to reserve or to lay up or to hoard. That's the idea behind it. So do not reserve, lay up or hoard things. The word treasure means a deposit and it also means accumulated well. So a treasure is an abundance of something that in itself, at least in our opinion, is precious and valuable. Therefore, we can put the whole phrase together. It might say like this, don't reserve selfishly for yourself wealth and material possessions. Moths that he mentioned are are cloth moths that would eat the clothes. And rust is suggesting the the idea of wear and tear on things. And thieves, of course, uh, make sense in that they would break in and they would steal things. So again, let's put it together. Don't reserve selfishly for yourself, wealth and material possessions that can be eaten by moths, turned to rust and be taken from you. And that's where he begins. It kind of sums up our entire life, doesn't it? But in the end, everything we own, everything we have accomplished, every good work, every title, every possession, everything we have worked so hard for selfishly will be useless. The day we stand before the Lord, our bank accounts, of course, will be empty. No lines based on how much money that you've made, no special privileges because of a title or no status, achievements, or positions of power. We, every one of us, every person in this room, everyone listening to my voice, without exception, will stand before the Lord like this. Completely empty handed. The commercial says, what's in your wallet? It asks that question. And Jesus is asking the question, what's in your treasure chest? In other words, what are you depending on? And the only way we can know for sure is to lift the lid and take a closer look. So if we dive into the earthly treasure chest, we might things like this. We might, are there bank deposit slips or or investment mailings showing what you're trusting in for security? Are there nameplates or certificates you're relying upon for maybe a status? Are there possessions that you believe will enhance your image? That's just the first layer. And then we go a little bit deeper. Is there a list of accomplishments buried that encourage a deserving attitude? Are there photographs of people to whom you depend on to quiet your insecurities? A set of keys that represents your house and your cars? Is there a book that you have written that you keep reading in your head that reinforces your belief every time you read it that you know how to raise godly, successful children? Is there a wedding ring that reminds you of your faithfulness in spite of your spouse's unfaithfulness? It's not always fun to look in the earthly treasure chest. Our earthly treasure chest screams self-reliance All of the things can lead to pride, idolatry, selfishness, and sin. Let me encourage us to say, before we point the finger at someone else's treasure chest, yeah, look at mine, but look at their treasure chest. You won't stand accountable for someone else's treasure chest, but you will stand accountable for yours. We have an obligation to ourselves, as well as those who depend upon us, to decide upon whom we will depend. And the best way to do that is to find your treasure chest because it is there that you'll find your heart. Verse 20, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So now he shifts to the treasures in heaven. The treasures found in heaven are free from decay and theft. They are not material things that can be eaten by moths. The word treasure as it's used here means those things of eternal value, for example, doing good works as a result of your salvation, suffering for Christ, forgiving, cha-ching, 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 willingness to share, living in obedience to God, generosity and sacrifice, cha-ching. None of those things will be eaten. They won't rust. they won't be taken. They will all pass the eternal test and be found to have eternal value. Jesus was appealing to what we value. Proverbs 23, 5 says this, cast but a glance at riches and they are gone for they will surely sprout wings and fly off to the sky like an eagle. So the entire point that Jesus is trying to make here in verse 21 is this, the very things that we treasure in our life the most occupy our heart which is the center of our personality and our mind and our emotions and our will. This resulting in our treasures controlling our entire direction in this life and what we value. Verse 24, no man can serve two masters. And the word master means to belong wholly and entirely under command. So two masters, one of our treasures will be the result of what enslaves us. We will serve one or the other, but we cannot serve both. Jesus makes that abundantly clear. We cannot both be a slave to possessions and to righteousness because their interests are quite different. Quite different. So if our affections be to the service of one, love the one, we must by necessity hate the other or love less the other. We cannot love both earthly treasures and at the same time, the treasures in heaven. Friends, before we can ever live a generous life, we have to look through our treasure chest. Is it here on earth filled with the things that we're depending on, or is it in heaven filled with the things that point to our dependence on God? And when you find your treasure chest, Scripture teaches us, you'll find your heart. They cannot be in two different places. They're always together, they're inseparable. Secondly, live discipline, money and our generosity. And I want you to turn to 2 Corinthians 9, 6 through 8 because I think it is um, the best passage of Scripture in the New Testament that's going to teach us about uh, giving, generosity. So first we've looked at our treasure chest in order to find our heart. Now I wanna explore the biblical origin of the word tithing. Don't, don't do this when I say that word, right? Let's explore the biblical origin of tithing and then the present day implication and the practicality of tithing. So as always, the knowledge of scripture leads to heart change, which leads to a change of behavior and, or in other words, the way that we live out God's word. So what does the Bible say about tithing? Leviticus twenty-seven thirty says this, a tithe of everything from the land, whether grain from the soil or fruit from the trees, belongs to the Lord. It's holy to the Lord. So the 10% requirement specifically comes from the Hebrew translation, translation of the word tithe, meaning a tenth. That's what it means. Other passages that talk about tithing include Numbers 18, 26. Speak to the Levites and say to them, when you receive from the Israelites the tithe I give you as your inheritance, you must present a tenth of that tithe as to the Lord's offering. So that one is teaching like, Tithe on the tithe. So that, the idea behind that is uh, all the tithes and offerings that we receive here at Bethel Church, we tithe on that and we give more than 10% away to, to support missionaries for around the world. That's, a, that's an example of that. Deuteronomy fourteen twenty two. be sure to set aside a 10th of all of your fields what they produce each year. Second Chronicles 31, five. as soon as the order went out, the Israelites generously gave the first fruits of their grain, new wine, olive, oil, and honey, and all that the fields produced. They brought a great amount, a tithe of everything. But even before uh, tithes were, were required by the Mosaic law, Abraham tithed once, and Jacob pledged to tithe all that he had. So we see those two examples before the law. In Genesis 14, Abraham is coming across the plains with this, with this huge treasures that he acquired from these two cities that he had flattened when he was bailing out his nephew Lot. And in his travels, a priest, Melchizedek walks up to him right there. Abraham bows down, gives him a tenth. Abraham was not being guided or commanded by the law. He was being guided by the Spirit in worship. Later, the Old Testament law required multiple tithes for the the Levites, temple operations and feasts, and the poor and the unfortunate, and total tithes, get this, we, we often say, well, the Old Testament says you're supposed to tithe 10%. Well, in reality, they actually tithe between 20 and 30% if you add them all together. We see another example of a tithe in Genesis 28, 22. Jacob, you might remember this, story. Jacob had this crazy dream and when he woke up, he built this altar. And then it says, and of all that you give me, I will give you a 10th. Again, this is all pre-law Moses. And so we see two things happening in the Old Testament. We have examples of Abraham, we have an example of Jacob who both tithe to the Lord, not bound by the law, but from a position of worship. Then we have the Mosaic law that teaches tithing. Within the law, there was the first tithe, there was the festival tithe, and then then you would give to the poor, and that was every third year tithe. The point of tithing in the Old Testament was to support the ongoing work of God's people. Okay, so what about the New Testament? Because the Old Testament had a lot to say about tithing and offering rules. But what about today? Let's start with our position in Christ. We are no longer under the law. But rather, we are under grace. Christ fulfilled the law. Some will say the New Testament never mentions tithing. Listen to Matthew twenty three, twenty three. when Jesus was speaking to the teachers of what? Teachers of the law and Pharisees. This is what he says. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You give a tenth of your spices, your mint, the dill, the cumin, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law, he says, justice and mercy and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. What was Jesus really saying to the teachers of the law and the Pharisees? You give a tenth, great! But in doing so, you have been more concerned about doing the right thing, that you've forgotten the more important thing, justice and mercy and faithfulness. You should not give a tenth of your riches and then neglect justice and mercy and faithfulness, and the clarifying statement is this, you should be doing both, that's what he told them. But remember who he's talking to. Two groups of people who were still law bound. And while he concludes with you should be doing both his point wasn't regarding an amount it wasn't addressing an atti- it was addressing an attitude and a heart condition. So Jesus was only referring to the Old Testament command on tithing not advocating for its return of the requirement as though to say to them, if you insist on living under the law, then you should be doing both, showing mercy and tithing. Well, thank goodness, New Testament believers don't have to tithe like those in the Old Testament. Can you imagine having to give money back to God? Mm, Not so fast. Second Corinthians nine, six through eight, the best passage, in my opinion, uh, in the New Testament that guides us who are under grace. Paul says, this, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly and whoever sows generously will reap generously. Verse seven, each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. So we're gonna break this apart just a little bit. Now we're getting into the, the New Testament, the biblical instruction for New Testament believers that includes you and includes me. The first part of verse seven, each of you should, if you're using the ESV translation, it says must. So it would say each of you should or must give what you've decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion. So for a follower of Christ, proper giving begins with a willing attitude and and resolve. It's not a matter of if we should give, there's no loophole there, but rather when we give. If the word and concept of tithe is tripping you up, Because we're all raised differently, right? But if that's a a word that's tripping you up, just set it aside for just a minute as we look at Paul's instruction for the believer. It is clear that we are to give, but what are we to give? Second part of verse seven. What he has decided in his heart to give. So in the Old Testament, people gave according to the law. They didn't even have to think, right? Here's the law, this is what you do. Our giving today is in response to God's grace in our lives. It comes purely from the work of God's transforming work in us. When you and I allow God's grace to touch us, to affect us, to grip us, we can't help but respond with generous living and generous giving. Each man is to give what he has decided in his heart to give. That phrase means this, Each man is to resolve with God what he will give. The obedience issue here is not the law of the tithe. The obedience issue here is that you would actually take the time to resolve and work out with God what he's asking you to give. So we don't get to leave God out of the conversation and just grab a number out of the air. So where do we begin? The Word of God. If we were without the tithing principle of the Old Testament, where would anybody even know where to, where to begin in this conversation with God? Naturally, we would give to God what is comfortable. We might resolve an amount that has no impact on our lifestyle or our wants. When you commit to a conversation with God to resolve with him what he is asking you to give back in tithes and offerings, I want you to hear this. I cannot say this with absolute certainty, but let's say you're working this out with God, you're asking him, and I'll give you more instruction here in a minute, but my guess is this. He will not ask you to give less. He always calls us to greater generosity. Someone might say, I have decided in my heart to give $5 a week to God and feel I really good about that. Did you know that upwards of 50% of people that attend evangelical churches in America give $5 or less a week? Someone might say, or oh, I've resolved with God to give back to him in worship 1%. Is that what it means to decide in your heart? Well, keep in mind, many of us just found our heart buried in an earthly treasure chest, right? So I don't think we can solely rely upon a heart that is more focused on the here and now than God's kingdom. It's only as our heart is being transformed, it's only as we shift from the treasure chest on this earth to the one in the kingdom Will it ever make sense to give what God says for us to give? Second Corinthians eight two and five, two through five. It gives us further instruction. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able, and even beyond their ability, entirely on their own. They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in the service to the Lord's people. And they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves first of all to the Lord, and then by the will of God also to us. If you want to jot that passage down, 2 Corinthians 8, 2-5, you can go back and read that. Here's another one. 1 Corinthians 16, 2 says this. On the first day of the week, each of you should give, set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income, saving it up so that when I come, no collections will have to be made. In keeping with your income. We own cars that hopefully are in keeping with our income. We live in a place that hopefully is in keeping with our income. We we eat out in keeping with our income. We, We have a social life in keeping with our income. That's part of the resolve with God. Christians are to give what they decide in their heart to give. The attitude is the most important thing in giving, but it's also an individual matter settled in one's attitude towards Christ. How is it, listen to this, how is it that the the Corinthians in the midst of trial, severe trial, it says, and even extreme poverty were moved to rich generosity? They gave beyond their ability, it says. How? Why? It gives us the answer, actually. Because they gave themselves, first of all, To the Lord. We sang that song, Abide, because they were abiding. They were remaining in a position. This will prove to be extremely difficult if your heart is found in the earthly treasure chest. If that is your perspective, none of this will make sense. If your heart is with your kingdom treasure chest, this will make total sense. So the act of contribution should accord with the heart and free will. In biblical giving, each person must entirely be free to decide what to contribute. In God's economy, there's no quota scheme imposed on the giver. When a person gives from his heart, he does so truly and freely. But the passage continues. Not grudgingly, not with sorrow, not with grief, not with regret what it's saying. Not reluctantly or with a sense of remorse or of necessity, this compulsion, but rather with a cheerful, spontaneous heart. There's a sense of liberation and free will giving. It's to give without regulation. The person who gives under constraint or or force does not truly give to the Lord. And then it says, for God loves a cheerful giver. God loves a a cheerful and generous or, or blessed giver. The issue is not the amount of the gift, but the size of the giver's heart. The person with a generous heart delights in contributing to the Lord. The New Testament principle, giving should be willing and cheerful. The giving of tithes and offering are part of our worship to God. The definition of worship is responding to God and who he is. That's simply what it is. Giving is an act of worship and it's sacrifice. When we give, we're saying to God, thank you for the undeserved grace in my life. Giving God's money back to him. Did you catch that? It's his anyway. Giving God's money back to him is a way of saying, I adore you. I love you. It's an expression of our thanks to God. How do people determine how much they're going to give to God? As you might imagine, there are different opinions uh, on this question. Some Christians believe that we're still held to the standard of tithing, the 10%. Others believe that we are released from the law, but that we're still called to radical generosity. I will tell you right now, if you go home and you're like, "Eh, let's just check what Pastor Andy says, and you Google, you know, are Christians supposed to tithe? You're gonna get a thousand different answers. But again, the issue isn't the amount, it's the heart. Because you can, you can give 10% and live under the law all day long. You can write that check every week, 10%, 10%. But your heart's not in the right place. It's not the amount, it's the heart. And if we deal with our heart first, the conversation that we will have with God to resolve the amount will look way different. So how much should you give to the Lord's work? Ask God. I knew a person in my last church that literally would calculate, they take their income, and they calculate down to the penny. 10%. I think they missed it. Great, but that's not what it's about. If that helps you in deciding what to give, that's great. Just don't make it about the law. I've also known people who have given 30%, 40%. I knew a guy that gave 50% of his income. 50% of his income he gave back to the Lord's work. Would we say to them, oh, you gotta go backwards. You can't give that much. But ultimately, the 10% Old Testament tithe can be a helpful tool to get us started. If we we didn't have examples from the Old Testament, we'd have no idea, right? Remember verse six, whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will reap generously. So Paul's teaching us give, not reluctantly, with an attitude of generosity, you reap what you sow, and so while the law of tithing cannot be found, the principle of generosity is exceptionally clear in the New Testament. And this, I know and you know from other areas in our lives. Freedom from the law, freedom from the law, the abundance of grace, a heart that's in the right treasure chest, and a conversational resolve with God will always lead to tremendous generosity. Often, not only meeting the law, but exceeding the law. Verse eight, and God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things and all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. It's not uncommon for a person who is freed from the law to be even more generous. If I had a cup of coffee and I sat here and I said, this cup of coffee right here, it it costs $1. And I said in the first service, actually, I don't know what we do with coffee out there. I don't even know how much it costs. And somebody said, it's $1. So a good example. But if I set a cup of coffee here and I said, this coffee is $1. Everybody wants a cup of coffee. You need to give a dollar. And so you pay a dollar for that cup of coffee. But if I set the same cup of coffee here and I said, oh, here's a basket. Um, Give as you feel led. We'd receive way more money. Because you know why? Because people would walk up and go, here's a 20. I'm paying for somebody else's coffee. Gary, I'm not suggesting we make that change tomorrow, but. Use the law as a helpful indicator, not as a rule. Lastly, and this is shorter, I just wanna close with this, living sacrificially Luke 21, 1 through 4, Jesus said this. As Jesus looked up, he saw the rich putting their gifts into the temple treasury. He also saw a poor widow put in two very small copper coins. Truly I tell you, he said, this poor widow has put in more than all the others. All these people gave their gifts out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in all she had to live on. I grew up with an unbelieving dad who refused to go to church, and of course then refused to give anything to the Lord's work. He drank us into the poorhouse. My mom came to Christ and I watched her give sacrificially like this widow, even though at the time when I was young she wasn't a widow, but she was for many, many years. She sacrificed every week to give back to God. And then fast forward to What year was it? I better know this. 1986, Lori and I get married at 20 years old. We're young, we start having kids, right? We go through a class um, similar to like a Dave Ramsey but it was Larry Burkett at the time, if any of you know that name. We go through this this class and we're greatly convicted of what it means to live our lives generously. There was only a problem. I was a youth pastor making $24,000 a year and we had just been stirred by God that Lori, we're now gonna have our third child, Lori should stay home with our kids. So we made that decision in obedience, to what we believed God was asking us to do. So Lori quit her job, she stayed home, I made $24,000 a year on paper, took a pencil and said, we are $600 short a month to pay our bills, just our bills. And God said, you gonna trust me? We, like many of you, have used the tithe principle as a helpful guide, but not the law. He helped us determine a goal. There have been seasons when we gave less than 10%, close to it, but less. If I had to like pencil it out to the last penny, but way more seasons where we've been able to give more. And I don't tell you that to say, look at me. I tell you that to let you know that I would never preach or ask you to do something that I'm unwilling to do. I wanna close with this. I do not know what any person in this church gives. I don't have one I don't, I don't. I know nothing. You could give a penny, you could give a million dollars. I have no idea. I only know what I give. You may be sitting here very upset with me right now, accusing me of being only interested in your money. I'll find that out when you leave, when I'm at the back door. But let me just say, I'm way more interested in your heart, and your life, and your relationship with Christ. It's just that God speaks regarding money most often in scripture. Don't leave frustrated today, leave with a sense of wanting to know what God says regarding our money and our generosity. So as a church, it's not about equal amounts. It's about equal sacrifice. Let me leave you with one thing. by Martin Luther says this, what a man loves, that is his God. For he carries it in his heart, he goes about with it night and day. He sleeps and wakes with it, be it what it may, wealth or self, pleasure or renown.